forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. This is how we begin. Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. What I'm going to do is have you all go around and introduce yourselves on the microphone so that the listener knows what your voices sound like. Uh, Tell us who you are and maybe where they have seen your name on their television screens. Beth, starting with you. Uh, My name is Beth Schachter, and you may have seen my work on Bunheads or Quantico, because guns and ballet go together so well. (laughs) Um, You have have a brand. (laughs) I do. And I made a movie called Normal Adolescent Behavior. So one of those things, maybe. Are you allowed to talk about the things that you're working on I am. I'm currently working on a show called Mixtape, which is for Netflix. And I have a pilot... Oh, this is coming out in November, right? Yeah. Okay, so we're fine. So I have a pilot at NBC. <laughs> it hasn't been announced yet, so you're like oh, okay, in that weird space. But uh, I have a pilot at NBC this year. So yes. Excellent. Congrats. Great. Thank you. Alex. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. You're I'm very expert. glad to be here in a in a smaller group. Yeah. Um, I'm Alexandra Cunningham. Uh, my first job was NYPD Blue. And then I went on to Desperate Housewives, because those two things have a lot <laughs> in common as well. Um I am currently, I created and I'm running a show based on a super popular podcast called Dirty John, which will premiere on Thanksgiving weekend. So while you're bloated from turkey leftovers, you can lie (laughs) on the couch with your pants undone and watch my show. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's an image we want to see. Right? Oh yeah, detailed. like writers yeah. don't know about that. Like writers don't know about lying on the couch with your pants yeah. undone. Come on, it's fair. Um, and I keep hearing great things, so I'm I'm excited. To you see know, what you've it's done it's the escapist entertainment that we all need right now to get out of the world that we live in. Sure, so. right. it's Bravo, right? It's, it's a, Bravo. Nice, nice. Very cool. And Ben. Sure. Hi, I'm uh, Ben Corey Jones. I uh, most recently was a writer on uh, Insecure for HBO for three seasons. Um, and in between seasons one and season two, I was a writer on Underground um, because slavery and black female comedy go along very well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I have a, uh, I uh, produced a, a film with my best friend Lena Waithe called Stepsisters, which is on Netflix right now. And I'm currently showrunner executive producer for um, Boomerang, the TV series coming uh-huh. to BET in February. Uh, executive produced by Halle Berry, myself, and Lena Waithe, and uh, we're super excited about it. That's cool. I can't wait for that. That Thank should be. You. I I want like smart people to tackle that yeah. premise. Yeah. yeah, you know, I feel like there's it's yeah. meaty, and and smart people could do something. Yeah, good and we were just like, let's just not try to redo the film. Yeah. We have to do something totally different. Absolutely. And so I love that. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. I'm I'm living for stepsisters. Oh, just great. so you know, because I went to. Elementary school until sixth grade went to like basically an all black elementary school uh-huh. and didn't know that white girls were not supposed to be step. <laughs> also didn't know that we weren't supposed to know the words to the black national anthem. So when Beyonce sang it and I knew all the words yes. and I'm looking around at everybody and I was like, What you, we, what we the all fuck know you this? What, you know what? That is amazing. Come on, you guys. Like I'm blushing right now because it's like genuinely embarrassing. But it's great. great. I mean, yes. So I yes. But well, we should Definitely. say and, yes. and I was looking at this interview that you gave not too long ago about where stepsisters came from and it's yeah. kind of a great story yeah 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 it's a cool story my, my good friend Chuck Hayward who's a writer on Dear White People right now for Netflix he uh, we were having drinks and he showed me this uh, YouTube video of a group of white girls stepping in the Midwest at, at a black step show and they were killing it yeah. you know what I mean like and the audience was going crazy and so my friend Chuck he was like alright I'm gonna write a movie about this I'm like alright if you write it I'll produce it well, <laughs> right. you know what I mean like whatever that means <laughs> and then six months later he came back was like I have a script so you say you're gonna produce it right I'm like what what is the movie producer anyway? <laughs> what I realized, like, we just sort of, we worked wow. for about, about a year and a half. We workshopped the script. We table read the script to death. Uh, and we got the script uh, at a great place. Um, but we he, he really wanted to make, a, like, a film that was a dance comedy but was also tackling race. Because mm-hmm. in our point of view, like, you couldn't sort of do that film and not, like, address the issue. But we were like, let's make light of it, you know, and, and do something really fun and interesting and, like, have a cool dance film and have great music and, like, yeah. great actresses and, you know, and female empowerment. And it was just a really – and we shot it in Atlanta, and I'm actually going to Atlanta – in three hours because I'm filming we're starting production on Boomerang oh now. My God. Oh that's yeah. amazing. So. Atlanta's so much fun to shoot in. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. Are you all shooting in Atlanta? I feel like no. that's all anyone you're here. Yeah, I have right. never been to Atlanta, yeah. unfortunately. Uh yeah, no, I mostly I I manage to keep things here and yeah. I don't know that's how cool. that is. Yeah. yeah that's good for really hard, right? Yeah. Yes. No, I'll take all the credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wanna ask so each of you touched on this uh, in your introductions about doing these 
kind of wildly disparate uh, uh, shows, especially early on in your careers, although not so early on also, um, you know, part of that conversation is about, look, when you're starting out, you you take the job, yeah. right? You, you're lucky to be doing writing anything and right. getting paid for it. So you see what comes along. But, you know, uh, uh, Beth, I think, you know, we started with you and we can, it's a good place to start. Like you went from Bunheads yes. to something very different. Very different. <laughs> um, um, to Quantico and like, Let's talk about that and why you were, like, what put you on the radar for Quantico for the next job? Um, and what made you the right person to do that, even um, though nothing in your resume may have shown that? Weirdly, I'm going to say maybe the thing we're not supposed to say, which is that I think being a non-white man gives you access to a lot more shows. Because mm-hmm. often showrunners are looking for the girl in the room yep. or the person of color in the room. Yep. And so they're more willing to take someone who maybe doesn't have experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's been your experience mm-hmm. too, but it's like, they're more like, Oh, Hey, we could do this or we could do that. And you could come over here. And it, so I think that's a huge part of it. Honestly, I, um, I did Bunheads. I did a show in between that I never speak of cause it was a terrible job. <laughs> um, and then, um, I took a year off and did a pilot and then, uh, and had a baby and dealt with a bunch of other stuff. And then the showrunner of Quantico read a sample of mine yeah. and mm-hmm. we just got along really well. That's who I'm working on mixtape with. And oh, wow. that's who yeah. created the show. And so I just found a person who was like, hey, I really like you and you and I have the same voice. And so that was really what that was about. Um, honestly, I took a job on for a year on a show called Seal Team for CBS and that was 100% because they wanted a girl in the room. Mm-hmm. And really? that's just what it is. And, yeah. and you use it to your advantage. Oh, yeah. Right? I oh, mean, yeah. yeah. I use it all. I mean, I use it all the time. I mean, I've been fortunate. I mean, I started my career in, in the assistant land. So I worked on probably like five different shows, writer's assistant, script coordinator, writer's PA, office PA. And I would just, I would get those jobs for the same thing. Like they did want diversity around. They wanted diversity in the rooms. Um, but then I, when I sort of got started getting staffed, I was lucky enough to start working on, you know, shows that were at least run by a, I, my first my second job was Hand of God for Amazon. Mm-hmm. It was run by Ben Watkins. He's a black guy. Uh, and I was able and fortunate enough to find showrunners who were mentors who wanted to have my color in the room, but also like my voice on the page. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that, um, you I mean, your work is really is what's going to speak. You know what I mean? And, and I think. You know, for like for Bunheads and Quantico, you know, even I'm sure the showrunner of Bunheads wanted to read people's samples who yes. were great. Hey, they're just great writers, even right. though the show, you know, it's not like explosions and this no. and that. But like <laughs> you still want writers, you know, that have something unique on the page. And even when we were reading and staffing for Boomerang, um, we the show got picked up without a pilot. Mm-hmm. We didn't write a pilot script. So there was nothing. We, there were no samples to judge. Basically, we didn't have a pilot to say, like, oh, they know this show, they know this world, because we had not created the world yet. Oh my God. But we just we just looked for people who had, like, quirky samples mm-hmm. or, like, just quirk, like something quirky about their writing. Um, and that's kind of all we had to judge because, again, you know, when I wrote on Hand of God, I wrote a pilot called Bishop, uh, which is about a megachurch pastor in Houston who sleeps with 14-year-old girls in his congregation. And the opening scene is uh, a recounting of my molestation story of someone, uh, the preacher, molesting this young woman as he's praying over her. You know, and so that sample got me on, uh, got me on hand of God because it was directly in line yeah. with like what that show was about. And that show, they they needed someone in the room who had been in the church, who had been in religious settings a lot. Um, so sometimes the samples line up perfectly, yeah. but if they don't, then it's just good writing. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's the thing I sort of wanted to get back to, and like these these shows where they were taking you from one. Uh, sort of genre to a very different one. What were they looking at? What was your sample? Like, Alex, going from NYPD Blue, hmm. uh, where, had you freelanced or were you on staff there? Um, no, I was on staff and oh, I really? had never written a television script of yeah. any kind. The reason <laughs> I got hired was because Stephen Bochco had gone to Carnegie Mellon for theater and this was before people were hiring playwrights. It was yeah. sort of a weird like leap that he took that the actual the three staff writers of that year were um, Jonathan Lisko, who went on to create a bunch of stuff, including Animal Kingdom and mm-hmm. Halt and Catch Fire. He ran and he 
came from Harvard and spoke Chinese and, you know, <laughs> and then Buzz Bissinger, who had won a oh, Pulitzer wow. for yeah. crime writing in Philadelphia and had written um, Friday wow. Night Lights, the book, yeah. and is Peter Berg's cousin, who then ended up directing the pilot of the first show I ever ran, super weird, <laughs> and, uh, and me. And he hired me because he thought, where can I? He always kind of had been able to find voices who had never written for television before. That David Milch had never, right. David Kelly. I'm not wow. comparing myself to these people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but David Kelly was a lawyer, right? and David Milch was a you know crazy uh, <laughs> novelist. And uh, and so then I think he just kind of went, well, I love theater and playwrights. You know, they we know they know how to write dialogue, mm-hmm. so that's a thing. And so <laughs> he took a, a leap on me. But interestingly, because I'm older than you guys, that like that there were only there was one woman at a time on NYPD Blue. I don't remember if this came up the last time. Uh, But yeah, there was one woman at a time at NYPD Blue and it almost seemed institutionalized in that sense. The first woman was Teresa Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And the second one was Meredith Steam, mm-hmm. and then the third oh, sure. woman was me. And wow. it was, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, can't get a new woman until the old yeah. woman is gone. It really sort of so seems like that, that a little bit. Was that spoken? You think, or like it was, was not it, spoken? It was unspoken. Yeah, and I definitely did not. You know, I mean, the first draft I turned in was like eighty-five pages long or something. I did <laughs> wow. not feel like I was in a position to be like, hey, what's up with this shit? Right. So like, yeah, it was. It was only uh, afterwards that it struck me as, huh? Yeah. 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 And did you see your like, did you see yourself as having a different role as a woman in the room? Well, funnily enough, even though Stephen is sort of given credit for creating the writer's room, we didn't have one. Oh, really? Yeah. I no. didn't realize that. No, we had so uh, cops. We got to talk about NYPD Blue. Friday. I know. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm going to no, talk we, really fast. Go I'm going to talk it. like no. an Aaron Sorkin character. I think, uh, let me just pause yeah. here for the listener. Like, if you have not dug into NYPD Blue. Especially first season, which I had nothing to do with. But, but honestly, the whole series. Yeah. yeah. Like, every single episode is strong like it's and character driven char- yeah. ex- I was going to yeah. say like yeah. as much as it's a procedural as much as it's a case of the week these are it's a show about these characters right and I think so much of modern TV came out of this show I mean from Bochco in general because yeah. mm-hmm. Hill Street Blues before Absolutely. that was you know maybe the fr- I mean still probably the best yeah. character driven procedural until you know you start getting into like 10 years ago yeah, uh, sure. it was always very important to him and I don't know whether that's the theater background or not but uh, yeah maybe so, yeah. so how did how did it work without a room there? That's really interesting. Um, we would have cops come to town probably like twice a month or three times a month. Wow. And it had gotten to the point. Our executive producer was um, a former Queens homicide detective named Bill Clark. Yeah. And he, we had actually run out of friends of his at that point. And so uh, it was really more like friends of friends, word of mouth. Like you're a cop. Go to L.A. for the weekend. Go to Morton's. You know, uh, have your picture taken with Dennis Franz and Kim Delaney and then go in and do like a story session with the writers and tell them like your best case, which like sometimes was like, wow, that's fantastic. And other times it was like, oh, yeah, we can't use that at all. (laughs) Like you flew all the way out here and we're not going to be able to use it. But yeah. And so then basically it was we fought over the stories. And then mm-hmm. we went to Steven and said, I want to do this script and I want my A story to be this and my B story to be this. And he'd go, well, your B story is your A story and your A story sucks <laughs> or go ahead. And so, yeah, I, I that, that was kind of how it worked at that point. And then people afterwards were like, what was that room like? And I'm like, what's a room? <laughs> like, I didn't know what a room was. I didn't know what a notes call was. We didn't have a single note. Like whoever, wow. whoever they talked to Steven. Right. And yeah. Stephen probably went, yeah, I'll take that under advisement. Click. Exactly. Like it really, my second job was for Mike White, was for a show that Mike White had created. And that was my first notes call. Was it was called Pasadena, which oh, of course yeah, we yeah. shot in Vancouver. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And that, and that was an amazing cast. And uh, uh, really, I mean, Mike White's voice is so twisted and his yeah. mind is so great. Not, and I it was really, yeah, yeah, it was. An, yeah. And all he wanted to do was write. So I basically learned how to produce on that show because mm-hmm. well, he just went, you do ask. this, you do that. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, was that the first room you had been in? Was yes, it a room that show? That was the first room I had been in and the first notes call I ever took. And it was, uh, there were manager, executive producer, studio and network. And so basically okay. it was, there were three tracks Oof. represented on those calls. And I was like, I don't even understand what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> like, and so, and they were like giving their thoughts on the script. And I was like, who, they get to do this? Like, I really did. I was but so you sink or swim, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you have to learn how to do it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Beth, I want to come back to you and ask about uh, the some of this early stuff. Yes. Um, and going from, uh, first, 
going into Bunheads, was yes. that the first job, like the first TV job? That was the first TV job. So I went to okay. school for film and okay. made a film when I was still in grad school. I went to Columbia and made a film with Amber Tamblin and Kelly Garner, and it was a teeny tiny movie. And then that got bought by New Line. I've told this story a million times, so I'll tell a very quick version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it got purchased or bought by New Line, and uh, we screened it for New Line, and the foreign sales agent hated it and screamed at me during the screening oh or after gosh. the screening um, in a German accent. It was really, honestly, don't yell at Jews in a German accent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't take to it very well. <laughs> Wasn't good. Um, so I, um, so that was um, 2008 or 2009, something like that. And mm-hmm. then um, the movie got sold to Lifetime because they refused to uh, release it. And I took my name off of it uh, and took my name off. I, it's on the actual movie because I wasn't DGA, so I couldn't go oh, through the actual process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I took my name off of all the publicity, and Amber and I just sort of were like, we're done. We're not hmm. going to do this. So they mm-hmm. recut it. Uh, there's a version of it that exists in the world. It plays on HBO and Cinemax all the time. It was renamed Havoc 2. <laughs> The sequel to Havoc. They made it a sequel. <laughs> the movie where Anne Hathaway takes her kid off. That's what it. Uh, yeah. yeah well, I don't one. know why I know that. <laughs> wow. Written by a woman who got killed when a plane hit her house. Not kidding. What? You can Google it. Oh my god. Um. Yeah. It's a crazy story. Oh it's an god. insane story. Stephen Gagan rewrote her. I was. Yeah. And um. I want the commentary track to this movie, but without watching yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's an insane story, and I was like, and I was like, the only relationship between it is there were teenage girls in it that were naked that was like genuinely like the entire relationship <laughs> wow. to it because there was the, sh- the movie did have full frontal <sighs> nudity in it um, get into the movie biz everyone yes <laughs> it was really great indie film it was, there's nothing better so it's I went crazy. to movie jail for a while and mm-hmm. then uh, went back to theater which is where I started and wrote a play and then uh, agents found me and said do you want to write for TV and I was like I very much do want to write for TV <laughs> thank you and they said if you give us a year and write a pilot well you wow. can write and then we, almost to the day I got a job on Bunheads wow so um, what was that pilot that you wrote and how did you know how to do it I mean I you had gone not, to film school yeah. I did not know how to write a pilot um, I thought I knew how to write a pilot because hmm. I watched a lot of TV um, and I'd watched a lot of Gilmore Girls which is why the Bunheads thing because oh, it's Amy Sherman Palladino's mm. show between um she did Gilmore, and then she did another show, and then mm-hmm. she did Bunheads, and now she does Maisel and is running the world. Yeah. Um, but so I um, I didn't know how, and so I wrote what I thought was a pilot, and then I sent it to everybody that I knew and that I was working in television and said, is this a pilot? And they were like, no, no, it's not a pilot. And <laughs> what then I got notes. What were you notes. doing wrong? Um, I was doing a lot of things wrong. I think the biggest things that I was doing wrong, which I still find, I don't know if you guys find when you're reading for staffing, is that um, the premise wasn't in the – show so that you're reading a show and it's all character but the Hmm. premise the engine of the show doesn't exist within the pages (laughs) so you're reading it and you like everybody but you're like I don't know why I'm coming back week after week this is just a bunch of people doing things Um, that's a big problem and then the other big problem is that um, I think writers tend to um, and I find this a lot with our um, with hiring younger writers Mm -hmm. they tend to believe that reveals are the same as tension so it'll be like <laughs> off screen a voice and then we don't know who it is and then it's like two and a half pages of not knowing who somebody is and then they finally show up and it's your main character who you met 40 pages ago and you're like oh you don't understand that where tension comes from so those were the two biggest mistakes I was making and mm-hmm. a lot of that was theater just having theater training and not knowing that and then um, also, I just, it was, I think everything was 85 pages, which sure. by the way, on Bunheads was right. uh, uh, an asset because our scripts regularly came in at 78 pages and were short. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Those, those Paladino shows. Yeah. Oh, they talk the, fast. Yeah. 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 I actually interviewed to be, uh, Amy's assistant on Bunheads when, oh, wow. um, and it was, she was, it was an awesome interview. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think she ended up going with someone, uh, just a, another recommendation, but it was in her, the house in Santa Monica. In, uh, in Venice. In Venice. That's, that right. was where our room was. Yeah. So it was wow. like, her, dog. yeah, her house is like next door to the, like the writer's rooms. House, it's across or, the street. She has like a big, beautiful house. And yeah. then across the street is a bungalow and you stay in the bungalow. <laughs> <laughs> You're the it was, writers. It looked, like a, it looked like a dollhouse. I was like, this it's is amazing. Adorable. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. And it had the full vintage kitchen, like the, yeah. like, full, like it's everything is perfect like I've I will never be in a more luxurious writer's room it was in done entirely in toile yeah wow it looked like yeah it it was it was like a Florida estate it was fantastic it was great it was actually also a really good um first job because Mm -hmm. they were Amy and Dan took me to writing school they were just like I you know for whatever reason 
you find people that are willing to help you, yeah. and and then you have to pay it forward when totally. you've been helped. But mm-hmm. I, they were just willing to teach me, and they went through. I had heard you'll write a draft for them, and then they'll just take it away from you, and you'll never see it again. And that was the exact opposite. They sat with me, I think, for three hours. And went through every single page mm. and gave me notes wow. on every single thing that I had done. That's amazing. And it was, I yeah. mean, it was grad school. That right. was the yeah. whole thing. I, I feel like Ben is like that too. Am I right about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is, yeah. yeah, I mean, because I've just come up in the business and worked on a lot of different shows under a lot of different showrunners. And me being a first time showrunner now, which is, com- I'm still, my mind is still kind of blown by that, but here we are. <laughs> but like, I've, 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 I tried to sort of think about all the people that I've worked for and take the best mm-hmm. from the, best of them and take it into my room and but one of those most important things is and I mean for my show for our show now we we gonna work our asses off to make a great show finished product and hopefully get awards and act, you know act, accolation and accolades whatever but if everyone's not having a good experience while doing it like why are we here um, like what's the point yeah. you know because I don't know, like, you know, and I come from Insecure was such an amazing, beautiful job. Issa Rae and our showrunner, Prentice Penny, did an awesome job to, like, make us feel like we were a family. And that reflects on screen, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It reflects on the pages, in my opinion. Um, and I just want to, like, have a good experience. And and a lot of it is you're going to – this is this is a job or a business where you're going to do a lot of on-the-job learning and a lot of on-the-job training. It's, it's a lot – it's kind of difficult to submit yourself to the idea that I'm going to – be working but also learning a lot and not take that too personally but also on the, on the flip side of it making sure that you are the person that's trying to sort of teach and learn because there are no real manuals for TV yeah. writing specifically you know what I mean like it's just no and, real and every room is different yeah, and every show is, runner oh my is God, different yeah. so I, I do want to hear that from all of you like you're all getting to run shows <clears throat> if not right now then next year or last year um what have you taken from the best showrunners you've worked for? And and mm. men, as long as you're talking yeah. about it, like what do you implement? Yeah, I, one room? of the one of the cool things, my showrunner on Hand of God, Ben Watkins, he made sure that uh, he scheduled a individual lunch with every writer hmm. uh, because I mean, there you can come into my office or you can chat with me in the kitchen as we're making coffee or oatmeal. Um, but to actually have a formal today is your writer your day to go to lunch and to sit down with your showrunner outside of the writer's room, go to a restaurant. Uh, and when he did that to me, and this this was my first staff gig, I did the ABC writing program, mm-hmm. uh, and I got staffed on uh, Chasing Life, ABC Family Series. But to be very honest, I, that was difficult for me because, I mean, one, the diversity writing programs are extremely problematic, and we'll, we can talk about mm-hmm. that or whatever. But the retention rate of the writers who do a lot of these diversity programs yeah. that actually go on to a second job is like, abysmal mm-hmm. yeah. so that's why I wrote that pilot Bishop something that was so either you after three pages either you don't want to read it anymore or you have to keep reading so you wrote that after the I wrote program. that after the program oh, because smart. I knew yeah. that like if I don't write something that's gonna kill people yeah. <laughs> that I will not keep working um, and so I got onto onto that show um, after after doing the, the writing program and so I, I was just very nervous and you know to, to be in this new room and to be on this and then it was Amazon like when they were doing that weird like people can vote the on pilots yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the know? public was voting yeah it was just <laughs> yeah. so, so weird, weird. I know. <laughs> it's so strange like what and what is the matrix though of approval yeah. on Amazon yeah. is it like mm-hmm. how many times you buy toilet paper after you <laughs> watch it like what well, is and the I also kind of heard they didn't even adhere to their own yeah. rules no. yeah. either so it was like we're yes. telling everyone it's going to be this but then behind right. the scenes, we're like, no, we actually right. like this one better. Right, exactly. Right. exactly. Okay. We're behind this yeah. show. Yeah. If numbers count, yeah. which this fine, is the one that good. Go. Yeah. yeah, like then that's you how it should be. If you believe in something, you should not like submit yeah. it to this mob rule. Right. Oh so, my gosh. Exactly. Anyway, sorry. Go on. No, no, it's fine. And yeah, so I mean, it was, it was. So, so all that was taking place, but. You know, one of the things that I tried to do that I did do this season on my show is that I had a, a lunch with every single mm-hmm. writer, and it, it just does something I think for the relationship um, because people need to be, and it's great if you're a leader to just help affirm people. Uh, that goes a long way because you want people to like really give their best work, and Absolutely. you have to figure out how can I get the best work out of everyone. And the, the answer is kind of simple. If people are feeling good, they'll give you their yeah. best work. You well, know? treat them like people. That goes a long way. <laughs> right. 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 Um, and I'm sure, I mean, all of us have had circumstances where that hasn't been the yeah. case. And, yeah. you know, you're just sort of a cog in this machine, mm-hmm. and it's hard to care about the thing mm-hmm. in those circumstances. I do have a question about taking your writer to lunch. Um, writers are typically 
not at this table, certainly, but typically <laughs> sort of introverted mm -hmm. and quiet. And a one-on-one -on -one lunch might be difficult. <laughs> uh -huh. Have you found that? Um, I mean, you're yeah, obviously sometimes very they personal. Are, they do get a little weird and awkward because, again, like, we don't – but you also realize, like, I don't really know you. Yeah. Right. You know, like, I hired you. You had a great meeting. I actually sit with you in the room every day. But depending on how much you talk or how much I may not actually know about you. Yeah. And so my thing was, like – I'm just going to ask questions that I don't know. Where are you from? What's yeah. your mom's name? You're having you, a first date. Yeah, first yeah. date. And I'm I'm a, you know, I my my sweet spot of writing is like romantic comedy, so I'm always like, so who are you dating? Right. Um, <laughs> well, if you want to talk, well, I went out with this guy last right. week. Like I love I mean, overshare when it comes to my love life. Yeah. <laughs> so that's always my go-to to just break the ice and once you a lot of people will most of the time get to talking yeah. when you ask me about that. That makes sense. Yeah. Um Alex, I was curious to hear about your time on Desperate Housewives. Mm -hmm. You wrote a lot of that show yeah. and produced a lot of that show. Lot of that show. Um, and we had early on on the podcast some of the Desperate Housewives writers. And it sounds like it was an unusual room that it, in that it was so much group writing. Was that there was a lot of group writing, but uh, one of the reasons that it was group writing was because Mark Cherry's background was actually sitcoms. Mm -hmm. And so when we started out, he hired a lot of hour-long drama writers because it was an hour-long drama show, <laughs> and he didn't feel confident or comfortable, and he didn't know how to break those mm -hmm. stories, and he wanted Funny. experienced people to kind of shore up where he thought his weaknesses were. And then we premiered to number one and, you know, however mm -hmm. many – bazillion million viewers and then he was like oh I might actually know what I'm doing and then the hour long drama writers kind of started to fall away and the sitcom yeah. people started to come in except for me obviously I've never worked on a sitcom but uh, and so then naturally the um, work environment changed because mm -hmm. because they they view scripts differently and yeah. uh, although we were doing some group writing right in the beginning because mm. I remember the very first script I wrote I was in a uh, in the writers' room, which at the time had a table that was a ping pong table where the net had been removed, it was super weird. Wow. And we were sitting there, and it was four in the morning, and I was sitting there with Mark, and I'm thinking to myself because I had never done that before, and I was like, "When is this going to be over? Like, yeah. when are we going to stop doing this?" And yeah. I think I actually said in the politest way possible, "Like, so when are we going to be done?" And he went, "When it's funny," <laughs> and I was like, Ooh. "Yeah!" Ooh. And so, yeah, and I think I was. Like my car was in the shop and I had like a rental car or something that I didn't really know how to drive and I hadn't driven stick for a while oh, and wow. so then I get on the 101 at like 5 o'clock in the morning oh, and the um, ramp to the 405 was closed oh, so I'm just driving toward Calabasas like <laughs> exhausted going I don't know what's happening oh, wow. like it really was uh, it was a different experience but um, it, 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 we for a show that cycled out so many writers because mm -hmm. I was there for six seasons mm -hmm. and wow. Uh, yeah, and um, I think I I actually tried to write down at one point how many people either left or got fired or or whatever, and it was something like thirty five to forty people. Wow, who are all great? Yeah. I mean, they're all great. It just you know, it just for whatever reason was not a good fit from one side or the other. But they've all you know gone on to oh, do great amazing. things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but and that's, it, I should say like that's yeah. not uncommon. Yeah, no, yeah. of no. course not. But it just like yeah. the tonnage of being the witness to it. Yeah. Is something unusual yeah. for me. A long that's, running you know, show. Yeah, because like I was on Blue, but I wasn't on Blue for the entire run. Right. So like obviously I'm a writer who left before it was over, but yeah. I just wasn't. I didn't stay behind to be like, and another one bites. The <laughs> so, but yeah, it was, uh, there were, by the end, there were people, you know, just Emmys all over the place, yeah, like Frasier yeah. and Will and Grace and whatever. And that was, uh, it, it was funny as I switched agents in the middle of um, the time at Housewives. And when I left Housewives, my new agents were very confused as to why I was getting sitcom offers. <laughs> They were like, you're not a sitcom writer. What is this? And I was like, because I've been in the room yeah. with people who went back yeah. to sitcoms, totally. I've been doing a you know a group write. Yeah, for, it's like you the, know, yeah. the invention of the dramedy, I would say, which yeah. was yeah. like so. Yeah. And, that it's amazing to hear that. Like it's the invention of the dramedy, yeah, which it was, was ahead of its time. Yeah, ahead of its time. Really, yeah. I, I want to say, if I may say something about group writing. Yeah, um, um, we got to be careful with that. Yeah, um, we do. <laughs> I, will, I will say that very publicly. Um, it happens, and it happens a lot. The only thing about group writing is that it's fine, but everybody needs to get credit. Hmm. You yeah. know, and I think as showrunners, as people in the business, um, if we're going to submit to the idea that shows are going to be group written, mm -hmm. then let the 
let the credit be evenly distributed the way the scripts and assignments and the scenes are. Because, you know, the Writers Guild is still trying to catch up a lot with a lot of the nuances and changes that happen in rooms. And frankly, they don't always know what the fuck is going on in these rooms yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh, it, not to not to their uh, not not to say anything bad about it because it's just so much change happening all Absolutely. the time especially with cable and short season orders and everything else yeah. like you know but I to me I'm a writer's writer um, because I came up in the business in the assistant route and so the, what's important to me is the, the treatment of writers and everybody doesn't have that regard but when it comes to group writing and I see this happening a lot mm-hmm. more and more um Things are being group written like like the sitcom world, but in the yeah. sitcom world, everybody got credit because yeah. you had twenty two episodes. Right. Yeah. But we don't have that now. But some of those same vestiges of the sitcom world is still happening today. For and sure, we got to bridge that gap. Yeah, a little. Yeah. yeah. It's it's in twenty two in the world of twenty two, which is just brutal, and I don't yeah. know how I'll ever go back. <laughs> now that I haven't done twenty two for a year, I'm like, what the fuck? Well, I mean, was and I and luckily there aren't that many choices left to yeah. even go back to. I know. Well, and what, no, what was it? Seal team. Was Seal team 22? was twenty two. Quantico was twenty two. Oh, it sure. was yeah. No, it's wow. twenty two is a beast, and running a twenty two room, twenty two post, twenty two set is yeah, like a. Wow. It's a lot, and so there's a lot nothing of ta- worse than a writer's room on twenty two around <laughs> episode like fourteen. Oh my god! What tell us? Especially before lunch. <laughs> oh, and it's one of there's two things that happen, especially on procedurals. Um, one is that you just run out of story, yep. um, because sh- epi- story uh, emotional stories aren't really meant to be told over 22 episodes. Mm-hmm. They don't really have yeah. the breadth. So every showrunner I've ever worked for has always come in and been like, "I think we should reboot in the back nine. And the reason they're rebooting in the back <laughs> nine is because you're like, "I don't have anything left to say about these characters." Because yeah. do you know how high you have to start in terms of hysteria to bridge <laughs> 22 episodes worth of drama? I. So that was part of it. And then the other part of it that happens is that you're tired. And so you start with, I would say we were doing eight days to break an episode, maybe 10 business days, but usually eight to 10 business days to break an episode. You end up at about three because you just don't have enough time to turn scripts around. And then you have to turn a script around in 24 hours because they kick back scripts, especially if you work on anything crime related. I, I imagine this happened with NYPD Blue as well, which is that, we would have episodes that would be like, this is about a gas, a, a gas poisoning, like sarin poisoning. And then there would be a sarin bomb attack and they would be like, well, we're not putting this show on the air. So you would lose an episode of wow. television because it was too prescient. Jeez. And that happened on SEAL Team. We sure. lost an entire episode because of the Vegas shooting. Um, literally, we were the least important casualty of that shooting. I don't want to make it sound like we were an actual <laughs> casualty, but it is a thing where you live in the world and you think about the sure. most horrible thing that might happen and then it starts happening, Oof, which is oh. a fucked up thing to happen. Yeah. And you have to pull that show off the air. I don't want to make television about snipers. That mm. does, I mean, right. no, thank you. So that um, so that happens, but also what really happens is that um, you get tired as the, like in the upper levels, you just get exhausted. Yeah. And so you use your staff to build a script you can rewrite because mm. for everything else, it is just easier to rewrite than it is to write. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just is of easier course. to look yeah. at 66 yeah. pages yeah. Mm-hmm. and say, okay, I can get this to 58. I can figure out the act breaks. I know what the act outs are. Like, I can actually do that. So you just start using them that way. But we were very careful, and I was very careful uh, running on, uh, uh, when I was on SEAL, which is that you, if you're going to do that to your staff writers, they get scripts. Yeah. So you give them scripts, and they do the, yeah. the and, and you use the gang we call it gang writing <laughs> we call it another thing too right. um, but we, we don't say that, that anymore. Anymore. we don't say that anymore <laughs> we're not going to do that anymore but what you do is you use it as a way to train them so you yeah. use it as yeah. a way to say okay you're going to learn how to write a scene you're going to learn how to yeah. do choreography yeah. on the page you're going to learn how to do an act out and because of you've learned those things I can now hand you a script in the back half of the season mm-hmm. and so that is the logic in our heads on a 10 episode order you're not doing that yeah. so you're just bullshitting yourself if you're a showrunner saying like I'm gonna group write this and you'll get one, another one later yeah. no you're not you're doing it because you fell behind and you didn't keep it together and right. you need to give credit where credit is due mm-hmm. I mean it is that is the truth of right. it it's yeah. just it's hard it's a lot of us that come from 22 are still in that mindset and it's hard to 
ratchet down sure. our expectations. Well, and also yeah. just to be fair on Housewives, uh, as compared to many showrunners I've heard about, Mark was not precious about the credits. Yeah. The credits went around mm-hmm. super fairly. Yeah. He he never like he was almost not even involved in that. It was like who's yeah. up next? Right. Yeah. Who hasn't got one? If we go all the way through the staff, we're starting again at the beginning and going all the way yeah. to right. the end. And he was not. He didn't grab. He didn't you know put his name on something because he hadn't had one for a mm-hmm. while or anything yeah. like that. It was never like that. So like the yeah. the yeah. group right yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and by all accounts the people who thrive there like you you know like our old pal Jeff Greenstein like really <laughs> like they thrived there yeah. they totally. really liked it totally um, I wanted to ask you so so as you transitioned out of Housewives <laughs> and started to run your own shows how did you make sure that you weren't sending people home at five a.m. or did you uh, no I did not send them home at five a.m. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the first show I ever created and ran was actually right out of Housewives, was uh, the remake of Prime Suspect. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that writing staff was so strong. Mm-hmm. Like, my my staff writer actually came out of the NBC diversity program and now is the runs the room on Westworld. So oh, that's wow. like six years from being Jeez. a staff writer on Prime to running Westworld. That's so so cool. Roberto Patino, hello. Yeah. And uh, yeah, had a lot of Friday Night Lights writers on mm-hmm. that staff. Had my friend John McNamara, who co-runs Magicians with Sarah Gamble. Yeah. And yeah, just super strong staff, super strong room. We, funnily enough, when you were talking about Amy's uh, bungalow writer's room, I remember when they were showing me offices and I didn't know anything i didn't know anything <laughs> they showed me two buildings at universal and one of them is that one that's like right outside the gate uh uh going towards forest lawn yeah mm-hmm. it was super low ceilings and yeah. fluorescence everywhere <laughs> yeah. and i was just like oh god like i had like sick building syndrome when i walked in there i was just right. like i don't know about this and then they showed me a house in the middle of the lot that was built for Demi Moore when she had a production company. I don't think she ever made a movie. Oh, my God. Oh my God. And it was this beautiful little house, like, right on River Road. It has its yeah. own entrance. Wow. I don't know why it was free. And they That's showed great. it to me, and they were basically like, well, you can't use this because your staff will be too big and there won't be enough office. <laughs> and as soon as I walked in, because it was, like, two stories. It had two kitchens. It had a steam oh shower. God. It had oh a, my God. I was like, I'm going to make this fucking yeah. work. <laughs> I don't care I'll what it t- Like, I had my yeah. line producer with me, and she didn't really know me yet she was kind of like are you like what is wrong with you and i was like no these people will double up you know roberto will go upstairs like it was just like we're gonna do anything we got i was like i don't need an office i someone will take and ron fitzgerald will be in the screening room and liz heldens will be upset like and it was the greatest office in history but it was on the lot i mean it was a house but it was on the lot and we would have uh barbecues on friday and uh dreamworks was right behind us and they would uh, they would smell it and they would start like wandering around going what are you guys doing? <laughs> it was just like it was the That's greatest. Amazing. So That's yeah, how you treat a staff. Um, yeah, and it was it, it was funny because my my daughter was like two, I think, at the time, and I. I really and I, I I don't even remember this being a conscious decision. I was mm. like, we're gonna. I I also feel like from all the years of Housewives, this part was conscious. At a certain point, especially for drama, because like you said, Housewives was a dramedy, so a lot of times you're going to be pitching on what is the funniest line. Right. Prime suspect, we were not going to be doing that. <laughs> so I do think there comes a time in the afternoon in the writers' room when it's the law of diminishing returns to oh, a certain 100%. extent that people are starting to go, "That is great," because they just want to get out. Yeah. And so I definitely was like. We're gonna I wanted to start as early as possible I it, and so that we could end earlier yeah. um, and so whoever was around at like 8.39 a.m. it was like okay let's start spitballing stuff and then as people roll in because the kitchen was right off the main room <laughs> where we had the writer's room so if people were getting coffee they could hear us kind of thing yeah. so it was like let's just start as soon as people get here so we can finish at like 4 o'clock because I get exhausted I don't yep. get a second wind till like after dinner <laughs> and then I can write things yeah, sure, so yeah. I just I'll yeah. write all night that's not yeah. about trying to own your life right. as my staff uh, and awesome. so we would finish at four and then I would go home and I would you know give my kid a bath and all that kind of stuff and then the show got cancelled as shows do and it was like how would I feel if I had made yeah. everyone steam yeah. through that and and wrung them out like rags and my kid didn't even know what my name was because yeah. you know that's a transitional age to yeah, a yeah. and it was just like how would I feel now that I have no show very true and I had done that to my family and I had done that to the staff like yeah. that you have to let people have life it's, I yeah. think it goes to what you were saying that it's it's about ownership it's yeah. about mm. feeling like we're all in this together and yeah. that somebody cares about me and they're not yeah. going to just grind me to a nub right you know so yeah. because 
because it is about the experience, mm-hmm. especially with 500, 600 shows on the air. <laughs> How many shows are there? That it's like mm-hmm. even the award-worthy shows are probably not even going to get nominated at this point. Yeah, it has right. to be about the work experience totally. and about yeah. enjoying what you're doing and you know feeling proud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But funny because our, our writers room now we're in the Vivid Entertainment Building. Oh my god! Oh my god! Of uh, yes, a lot. So of it's very those. appropriate that I will be in the porn building. You know, <laughs> um, and it's, that's it's, amazing. It's it's a really really cool building. And then we I go from eleven to four. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm usually not a morning person, but I'll drag myself up. <laughs> but I'm, I, when I when I said eleven to four, I'm like butts in chairs yeah, at eleven. Right. Yep, right. So we can be done by yep. four. We yep. can maybe work through lunch or maybe not. But you know, I've just I mean I've been in rooms where it's like you are obligated to be there all day. You you are there all day. You want to be there all day, but how much work is actually getting done? Yeah. You know, because we know we are, we're going to be here to six. So, like, I'll start working around, like, four, mm-hmm. I'll, you know. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm such a fan. Um, and I think I learned this from, the like, the John Wells. Um, I think his room meets, like, twice a week. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, just the idea that we can create different types of scenarios mm, totally. that works for us as yeah. opposed mm-hmm. to being in this system, like, these rooms. Because I've just been from show to show to show where it's like, okay, this this is how shows go. Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, yeah. who said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 10 to 6, $14 yeah. for lunch is not a lot. <laughs> It's not a thing. Like, yes, exactly. We say it's a thing, but it's a thing that we're doing yeah. 10 to 4 right now. We're following a handbook oh, cool. exactly. we made up. Yeah, that we made up. Yeah, exactly. And we like 10 to 4. And 10 to 4, and we give them lunch. I, my big thing is that I get in the zone, and so I have to be reminded by the assistant every 90 mm-hmm. minutes to let them pee. Because I just, <laughs> my feeling is like, it's I'm you're only here for like yeah. four and a half hours. Yeah. I just, I have a th- list of things to do in my right. head. Let's get them done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I forget. So that's my big problem. Is so I had to put a timer in, and we, um, <laughs> And we try to stand every twenty minutes. That's a big oh, cool. thing. Yeah, yeah, the timers, we see everybody stands. <laughs> the watch is good for that. The watch now is really just stand good. Up. Just stand up. <laughs> yeah. Just stop sitting because and you can see them like the the writers will start like getting lower and lower in their seats, and then sometimes they're just literally like they're just like a nose and eyes <laughs> on the table. And I'm like everyone has to stand. You all have to stand. Um, and I've been big on music breaks, oh, like cool. dance breaks, music breaks, listen to music, like trying to keep it like lively. Yeah. But I also think a lunchtime lot of it, walks. Lunchtime walks. Yeah, 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 we go to the good place. Oh. Yes. Yeah, we go up and walk that's around right. all the yogurt. Started like it's that's amazing. a good, it's a good walk. walk. Yeah. yeah. And I, and the other thing that we've been really I've been really conscious of, and which I learned from Josh, who I'm working with now, which is that um, if you want your writers to be emotionally open, you have to be emotionally open. You can't simply you're not a therapist. And I think a lot of times showrunners are like, why aren't they being more emotional and invested? And it's like, well, are you? That's mm-hmm. true. Are you showing up every day and saying, here's the shit that's on my mind, and here's mm-hmm. how the day is treating me and how the news is treating me and here's what mm-hmm. I've been thinking about or are you going like poke, poke, poke and expecting mm-hmm. them to Give come me, back at you? Yeah. So <laughs> it's, you're and also, safety. Yeah. You're working on a show that encourages that yes. too, right? Oh, it's a we very were, emotional show. We were very clear. We were like, we do not want people that will not talk about their shit. Yeah. I want, I, I, and I am, have no problem talking about mine and will tell you all of my damage <laughs> yeah. and, and, and issues and, uh, and that was really important to us yeah. that we had people. And then also that there's and the big thing to me to me is no crosstalk, which is a huge. My, to me is the hardest thing in a room because people want to, they want to sure. encourage. But what you have to remember is that you're all trying to row in the same direction. And sometimes a crosstalk meaning like when someone's pitching something and one person locks eyes with them and it's like, um, did you meet? And you're like, no, no, you have to let them finish. Mm-hmm. So that's a mm-hmm. big, to me, like that's a big one is teaching people not to, the, especially new writers who have yeah. never been in a room before, yeah. not to crosstalk and not to, teaching the boys not to talk over women. Right. Yeah. Well, and don't shoot down a pitch if you oh. have no yeah. pitch to replace oh, it. Don't just be like, is, oh, yeah. it's kind of bumping me. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was a big one too. <laughs> and it's a hard one to teach because yeah. the one of the hard the hardest things is that when you're running a room or a show you are supposed to say yes or no but when you're in a room you're supposed to say yes and <laughs> yes yeah. and, yeah. and so it's a hard you you kind of have to both teach by uh, example and also just teach by telling which is mm-hmm. don't don't shit on something unless you have a solution. Yeah. Don't if you don't have a solution, don't even open your mouth. Yeah. Just write it down until you're ready right. to fix it. Because yeah. nobody wants to hear that something's broken unless you have something to fix yeah. it. Right. And I love what you said about the. I mean, the emotional thing, or just being emotionally vulnerable in your room, like that's so important. And I, I you know, I love. I want. I would love for writers just to really absorb that. Yeah. Uh, we have. I had two. I had writing team. Uh, two Asian males. 
in my room and our show basically what we're doing for boomerang from the movie is uh if eddie murphy and holly berry who, who you know at the end of the film they go off into the sunset if they had a daughter when the movie came out in 1992 that daughter would be 26 years old today and if robin givens over here you know mm-hmm. being the fierce woman she was had a son he'd be 26 so mm-hmm. our show follows the offspring of these iconic characters from the film as they're living in atlanta uh and working in advertising the the, the industry that they're, they inherited from their parents uh and then there's like a crew that they hang out with. But one of the people in the crew uh, is 26 and got divorced. Uh, so we want to tackle young divorce in our show, yeah. like getting divorced. And, you know, when I, when I came out of college, there was a t- people just getting married at 22, 23. Yeah, and then divorces started happening around yeah. 26, 27, yeah. you know. And you and never so we would, see that on TV. Yeah, no. exactly. We want to talk about that. But one of, the, um, one of the guys, one of my writers, he got divorced when he was 25. And that came out in his, in his meeting. And so him just – and he – and. He was still reeling from it while he was in our room, you know. And so it's like I didn't want to exploit his (laughs) experience, but I gave him the episode. I gave him and his writing partner the episode that is the divorce episode. I'm like, go in and let it let it work your shit out. Work your shit out. A hundred percent. And also, I think when you give people ownership of the emotional components of your Mm show, people are kinder and more helpful because you're helping a person not an idea yeah. mm-hmm. so like you can say like mm-hmm. let's talk about your shit and let's work it out and let's figure out how to make our show more about that mm-hmm. which I really like and I, it's it's just hard it's hard because you want them to be emotionally vulnerable and you want them to be open but also a lot of times you have young writers who have not learned to trust a room before yeah. and sure. have come into gone into situations that are not good you know one or two shows of right one or two shitty rooms can really ruin <laughs> yes. someone I, yes. I don't I, I don't want to be my show to be on the list right. of someone's shows yes. like, these yeah. are the, like these are the shows I don't talk about like, yeah, I don't want my, my show to be on that list yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me let me ask all of you you know look I've been at this for a while and it's only in the past couple of years that I feel like I've learned to be vulnerable mm-hmm. on the page and yeah. to put the things that scare me in there. Was this a learning curve for all of you? Did it come naturally or was it something you had to figure out? I mean, Alex, I think about, you know, you started writing plays, mm. which tend to come from a sort of vulnerable place because it's you alone in a room right. and you're often doing it for no one but you. Right. Although, I mean, I came into television from, I was lucky enough before that to be part of um, the playwriting program at Juilliard, mm-hmm. which kind of had a writer's room, weirdly. Yeah, I didn't about that. understand that's what it was at the time, cool. but that, you know, there were seven playwrights over three years. Like, you would get a grant, you applied, and you got a grant, and, and then you all kind of sat in a room, you know, once a week, and you could use the actors for workshops and stuff. and and you But in the workshop, you would read... The work, like the characters were assigned to the playwrights and, and mm-hmm. we would put it on its feet and then we would discuss it. And so I, I, I kind of knew what a writer's room was sort of before I came and then didn't have one, uh, <laughs> weirdly. But yeah, there was a lot of emotional vulnerability. People cried a lot in that room. People yeah. got angry at each other. A couple of people stormed out, like that kind of yeah. thing. So the, well, yeah, the theater is a raw nerve. Yeah. Were, yeah. were you yes. able to do it though? I mean, yes. I I uh, I like to talk about myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm probably too much. I'm a little bit of a huckster. I will put the stuff out there pretty much mm-hmm. immediately to let people know that that yeah. we're we're gonna talk about stuff in the room yeah. and I'm gonna start. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and I have just as much fucked up shit to talk about as anybody else does. <laughs> so like, you know, I will find a way to tell you a story that is. Uh, embarrassing about myself sure. I guess for yeah. want of a better word and to let people know that we do that yeah yeah. and so. Beth was it when you're writing your own stuff yeah. or even in the shows that you were working on did it come naturally to sort of open I mean, yourself up on the page I think everyone has the first script that is just aping another person's script mm-hmm. that you're just like trying to do something that someone else had done and I'm pretty sure I had seen Walking and Talking and just tried to write a Walking and Talking a hundred percent I just tried to write that um, and then that was my first screenplay in grad school and then my second one was entirely about my life and was about and was incredibly personal and the second you do that and it gets people excited mm. then it's the feedback hmm. loop is started so it was it took one script of genuine of just trying to do something yeah. what someone someone else had done i was trying to write someone else's experience not mm-hmm. mine and then by by that time and then so everything i've really mm. written has been mine and the secret of I, as i'm sure you guys know as well wouldn't have experienced a lot more than i have even is um 
when you sell, they really just want it yeah. to be personal. Exactly. Yeah. They have no, like, you. if you don't come in and go, um, th- yes, this is a story about a female ATF agent who's going <laughs> to kick ass, but this is actually a story about how hard it is in a relationship to be a woman who right. ha- wears the pants in the family. Mm-hmm. And here's it, why it's my story, and here's yep. why I am the person that, it, I am her, and yes, we're going to be talking about guns, but actually this is what we're talking about. If you can't make it personal, yeah. you're just doomed yeah. so you have to be and if you you just have to be vulnerable I, I mean I'm sure there are people out there that are good enough at like the, <laughs> the handing <laughs> and the dancing and the I don't know that they can do it without being personal I just have never had any success yeah. Yeah. you're right because when yeah. you when you sell something you're you, there's a slew of, all the slew of meetings you have to go on and mm-hmm. tell your story about this script that becomes in my opinion what is matters to get your show picked up or get the script going, um, but then you sort of really have to do that. I mean, my before I came to LA, I worked on Wall Street for three years. I did investment banking for one year, and then I did I ran communications at an investment bank for two years. Uh, I was closeted gay while I was in New York City, and when the market crashed in two thousand and eight, and I literally went to work, and the doors were lo- locked. Oh my god! And wow. there were no email from my boss. Just locked. I was like, okay, I should probably <laughs> figure out something else I want to do. So wow. I, went to, I went to NYU and I took some like screenwriting classes and TV writing classes. Um, and so when I got to LA, so much of what I was working through in my writing was um, my issues, my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so that became just an immediate place that I always went to to just try to work it out. And mm-hmm. so, I, so when I sort of look back, a lot of what I have been working through and a lot of what my career in Hollywood as a writer has been has been attached to my journey through being black and, and being gay. Those double negatives sometimes hmm. that the, the society uh, gives us. But like using that as a part of the fuel that drives me to you know, get to that core that can really be interesting and really connect to other people. And then, I mean, it's, it's, it kind of goes without saying, but the, 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 the universals and the specific, yeah. you know, yeah, the, the thing you, you can, um, help people or change people with or really connect to them is the most specific thing because somebody can say I went through that exact same thing how did they know you know what I mean and that's the sort of the moment you want viewers and readers to to feel like how did this person know that this is a thing that people do you know and I think that's a really cool spot that we we strive for to that before we get too far away from it and and before we have to wrap up uh, I want to ask about Insecure because this is a show which you know by the advertising campaign should not be for me but (laughs) I fucking love this show. I like mainstreamed the first two seasons. Cool. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, Or mainlined is what I should say. I'm gonna do that again. (laughs) (laughs) I mainlined the first two seasons, uh, and I have to get HBO again so I can watch the third one. But um, I want to ask about like one the being vulnerable in that room, which like that can be such a raw and emotionally raw show, but it's yes. also so funny. Yeah. Um, what is the atmosphere in the room? Is it a typical writer's room? It's a pretty typical writer's room. I mean, our room is just super diverse. Um, Issa Rae is in the room. And I think it all starts, it does all start from the top down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Issa Rae, you know, and, and she said this in, in interviews publicly, uh, if you ask her what she enjoys more, writing of the show or acting of the show, she's like writing yeah. hands down because we have so much fun in that room. I mean, like, like it's a crazy amount of fun that we have in that room. Um, and we laugh, we we share. Um, but I think it, it all starts from the, the, the tone she created uh, and then the writers that we have. But, I mean, we have a really, really good time there. And the room is really diverse also, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, which was a really cool thing. Even though our show speaks to a very specific black experience, the black L.A. experience, mm-hmm. um, so much of what we're trying to talk about our relationship issues and and also a lot of workplace issues. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about what Issa is going through at work. Um, you know, because her romantic life, you know, is sort of it, it is what it is. Um, and then her friendship with Molly. Yeah. You know, any anyone can identify with friendship issues and workplace issues. Um, and then there's a specific uh, point of view about being a black millennial that we also want to talk about, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's just all those things. And But it's also so universal. I mean, yeah, I totally. watch that show, I'm like, oh my God, that is my experience <laughs> too. Yeah. Um, that, 
I wonder if that's even part of the conversation or you just like, is that just assumed? As you said, like this almost goes without saying that the mm -hmm. universal is in the specifics. Yeah, I mean, not really. I mean, we, you know, HBO kind of just lets us do. It's funny because like first season, we, we did feel like the little show that could. And mm -hmm. so we were just like, we can just do whatever we want, guys. I mean, <laughs> we have unlimited amount of time, which I, I now have seen that that's a luxury because um, <laughs> HBO is like, you know, yeah, write your show. Yeah, yeah we right. love it, you know. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the show hit, um, you know. But for me, I, I think we, we, we always want to make sure we're like having a conversation within our show because our writer's room can get very heated about just issues and we'll have topics mm -hmm. and we'll discuss things. And I, they called me, they called me soapbox, soapbox Ben in the room because <laughs> if you talk about something that I feel strongly about, you know, and then the room is largely female. Um, and so all the women will, will start getting, yeah, girl, we agree about this. We're all on the same page. And I'm like, well, <laughs> and I just, I love, I love to prod them oh, like boy. that a little, <laughs> just, to, just, to, and then I would always do this. Well, as a gay man, they're like, oh, here he, here he goes, you know? And so it was, it was, and so we always found, and I, I know a lot of rooms run this way, but the things that get the biggest heated discussion, we know we have to put it in the show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we had the, the. The conversation about oral sex and black women versus uh, I get white women or non-black women was a huge, huge, like week-long debate oh about <laughs> when do you do it? Is it acceptable? How you know what I mean? Yeah. And how often? And we were like, I never knew there was such varied opinions about it. I'm like, <laughs> either you do it or you don't. But there's so many layers to it yeah. that we were like, well, this has to go to the show. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, all right, before we wrap up, uh, mixtape. Do yes. we know when this is premiering? It will be on Netflix early 2020, which is the crazy Netflix what? ride that you go through. I know, it's insane. So it's, um, uh, we write until the end of this year. We shoot next year. Oh, that's It's nice. 10 episodes. Okay. And then, um, the, I mean, Netflix has so much amazing programming that yeah. you're just like, we'll just stand in line. And they're doing an amazing job, and it's extraordinary. They're, Netflix is, yeah. I, I don't... I don't know that you could work for more lovely, oh, intelligent, great. thoughtful, kind artists. Is I don't know how they ended up on that side of the screen, like on that side of the business, but it's great <laughs> that they're there. That's great. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, is, is this your first experience with writing all the scripts before starting production? I've never done this before. Yeah. I've never. It's weird. I, I'm like, <laughs> uh, shouldn't someone call me to set? Shouldn't <laughs> we not have a cut to look at? What's happening? No, it's 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 kind of cool. an experience. It's really cool. And I it's a fun way to do things because you really can sit in a room and break all the episodes. And then you can go back through and be like, you know what? I don't like this storyline. We're going to change it all. You can look at all of them like a 10-hour movie, which is great. Mm, it's a cool. really fun way to do things. It's just new, which nice. is good. I like the new. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, and Alex, Dirty John, uh, end of Thanksgiving, we November mentioned 25th. already. November 25th. Um, what is this? And we talked about it a little bit on the 400th episode, mm. but what is this show doing for you, or what are you able to say with this show that you sort of haven't been able to before? Ah, well... I mean, it's it's coming at a good moment for it because, you know, not only is it kind of a fun, crazy, escapist, dark, you know, thriller, true crime story. But, you know, I also get to say a lot of things about uh, why don't women listen to their intuition mm. and how do you mm. throw off societal conditioning, which maybe you can't. Um, and I get to say things about uh, that changing through generations of women because sure. I have four generations of women in the same family represented in the show. Uh, so that's been pretty fun to be able to really think about those issues as kind of irised in on by uh, the Internet is a super dangerous place. And there are a lot of people looking to weaponize things that you love <laughs> that you talk about on the Internet against you. Uh, oh. So, yeah, it's it's I mean, there's a lot of topical things yeah, out there. So but, uh, but yeah, this has touched on some things that are very interesting for me. That's great. Congrats. Yeah. I can't wait great. to see it. I keep hearing it. It's ones. pretty fun. Uh, and then Boomerang, we're a ways off. Yeah. Right. Oh no, February. Oh really? Oh, good. Yeah. Holy so cow. yeah, again, I fly to Atlanta in a few hours. We're gonna film from now until December twenty second. Wow. And then okay. we premiere in February. I mean, our we've had such a breakneck pace uh, to get this show going. Um, you know, we're we are in a we we are BT is rebranding and relaunching itself, mm -hmm. and we are Lena Waith and I. We're just extremely excited to bring something to BT that, in our opinion, um, is elevated. 
for that audience. Yeah. Um, and BET has been such great partners for us in allowing us to, you know, tell these stories. I mean, we're hiring young art tour directors. So mm-hmm. my pilot director had never done episodic TV before. Her name right. is Dime Davis. She's brilliant. We have. Had she done film? She's done film. She came out of AFI um, and has done a lot of commercial work. Um, okay. She's you know, amazing. Yeah, she's on. She's been on director list for me. I, she's um, extraordinary. She's extraordinary. And we have so a, cool. Yeah, we have cool. a great DP. And we tried to hire, um, you know, people of color who had not, who had like, they're always right there, and they're probably mm-hmm. working under mm-hmm. the white dude. And so we wanted to be our show to just to give them that opportunity. My music supervisor, she had been music supervisor on Insecure, mm-hmm. but working under some of the more established guys. And I'm like, no, this is your shot now. Now you're going to run the department. Nice. Um, you know, so it, it has been a lot of, and and some of what the theme of the show is, is the changing of the guard mm-hmm. about, you know, because even with Boomerang, you know, it all come, kind of comes back around. And there's a lot of generational trauma that these kids got from their parents. We always say that Eddie Murphy, who played Marcus Graham, uh, was a great ad guy, but was he a great father <laughs> is some of the issues that we're tackling. And then, you know, we're, so we're, the theme of what we're trying to do with this show is sort of talk about, you know, if when you're 26, 27, you're approaching becoming good in your field, but there's still some sort of resistance from the old guard, if you will, and how do you navigate that? And so that's a lot of what we're doing. And that's we cool. and we found that as, as I was creating the show, we're creating the show, you know, with – you know, trying to help the networks understand that if you just kind of let us do our show, we got it. Um, you know what I mean? And 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 even showing them that there's a way that we can all collaborate. Like network notes don't have to be mm-hmm. network notes. Right. You know, we right. can sort of talk about what the show is. And again, because I mean, you know, there's there's a way that this business has to continuously change and grow. And this business is always sometimes a place where tradition rules mm-hmm. and we just have to kind of find ways to not make that yeah. so you know yeah, so we have that choice like you said mm-hmm. it's, it's a rule book that we made exactly. up yeah. Yeah. well yeah and we're the same thing is happening with Bravo because mm, Bravo yeah, they kind of course. wanted yeah. you know yeah. take it up a notch mm-hmm. and it, but it has been interesting to sort of be like but you say you want to take it up a notch no there's an enormous amount of fear and it's you're presented with networks and studios that are they don't want to keep doing the old ways, but yeah. they don't know any better. And right. they're terrified if they change that right. they'll lose their jobs. And so getting them to be partners like you're talking about, Ben, is like this incredible process of like, come with us. We promise. <laughs> we swear you're going to look good if you just right. yeah. come over here. It's going to be great. Come over here. <laughs> we swear. Well, the bar, the bar is so high now, yeah. right? So, yeah. so also, much good yeah. TV. And also the um, – my executive on at BET, Rose Catherine Pinckney. I used to be her assistant. Oh no! Way. Wow. She worked. Yeah. She ran Lawrence Fishburne's production company, and I was her assistant for almost two years. And so, like, she and I have a shorthand because you know you're my network exec on the show that you know I, I co-created, and I used to be her assistant. So, mm-hmm. Like, that's really cool. So, that's like, so great. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's so it's really awesome. That's so cool. and so we can sort of talk to one another. Like we text. Like yeah, right. I'm like yo, what's what's going on? How do you feel about yeah. what happened in 103? That's She's great. like cool. Yeah. You know what I mean, or or not, and it, and I think it, it it's fun when it works that way. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure, it should be a collaboration. Yes. Yes. The best yeah, case yes. scenario is yes. a collaboration. Yes. All right, we do need to wrap up. I'm going to ask you what you were watching on television these days. What is getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your room, your friends, your loved ones? Beth, I'm uh, going to start with starting you. Starting with me. <laughs> um, I am watching the last season of Anthony Bourdain, which is mm-hmm. a study in depression and oh, worth yeah. watching, but also. Godly. Really amazing and hard to watch someone slowly slip away. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, and, let me pause yes. you for a second. There is a great podcast that I want to recommend to you and to yes. others called Carb Face. Uh, it <laughs> Carb is face? Carb Face. Carb Face, got it. Uh, it I has know two anything hosts. about that. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's all about food, uh, but amazing. it's also about, you know, life and food and things, yes. community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the hosts of it is Anthony's former assistant. Oh, wow. So this whole run in the past six months or so oh, has wow. been really about her grieving and mm-hmm. dealing with his estate. And, like, she's working on a couple of books that he had started mm-hmm. uh, that, that has sort of fallen in her lap. And it's it's a fascinating listen, and she's a wonderful host. Uh, and the, his her co-host, Chris, is also hilarious and charming. And oh, that's like, so cool. Loves to talk real about the right. restaurant industry. Right, right, right. Um, so I do recommend that yeah. to you and to other folks. All right, that's good to know. Um, yeah, and then the non-doc I'm watching, I just watched The King Lear with Anthony Hopkins, which is amazing, and I highly recommend. Um, it's got a little bit of, it, it, Richard Eyre can be a little bit campy, but it's, it's overall fantastic and really good. And is it real long? It's. I mean, it's as long as it's like two and a half hours, two twenty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's not King Lear, right? Say. It's not neat. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so good and well done. And then I'm, cool. I watched Maniac, which I thought was 
bizarre, and I have no idea how they pulled it off. But interesting. It's yeah. I don't. I, that's a show where I don't understand why I was so emotionally affected by it. Huh. I've I, heard that a few yeah, times. Where I was sobbing at the end of this. That I binged all of them. I was sobbing. But I don't know how it did that. Like I'm, wow. it's a magic wow. trick that I don't understand entirely. One of the well, actresses, Julia Garner, yes. is on Dirty John, and she She's would so sort of, without giving stuff away, would sort of describe like, "Well, then I had to do this, and then yeah. I had to do that," and wow. I was like, "I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I like, I can't yeah. even like put this into the form of a show when you describe what you had to do. It's not a show. I mean, it feels like a series of really weird art films. <laughs> and again, I don't know why I was so emotionally affected by it, but I was like genuinely affected by it and I I can't I can neither recommend it nor can I say avoid it <laughs> it's it has it's maniac right it? yeah it's okay. it's problematic but wow. it's also incredibly effective like, as a as a TV writer it's worth watching because you're like cool. how are you pulling this off because you're making a lot of mistakes that you should not be making <laughs> and yet I still felt gut punch right. so that oh, I, I love things like that where yeah. I'm like how did you do that so that's yeah awesome. those are that's my neat. that's right, right those now. are great yeah. uh, Alex um, well, I have finished Better Call Saul and Insecure. Those like were basically the only things I had time for as I was like writing all the scripts. And so now I am doing a bizarre thing where I am toggling back and forth between Haunting of Hill House mm-hmm. and Big Mouth. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which those <laughs> talk about things that don't go together as we started this pro- like I sometimes just it it gives me whiplash like to go from one one show to the other, but like Big it's Mouth, so I don't know. That show is Sick wow. <laughs> and haunting of Hill House is it's it's pretty cool so far for cool. a horror show. I it's can't wait very to interesting. Yeah. yeah, nice. And I'll, I'll say like Better Call Saul and Insecure. You could do a lot worse. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, it was like I almost was like, what am I even going to watch now? Right. <laughs> Maybe I'll do like, so, yeah. TV. Yeah. Going to go totally in the <laughs> other direction with like genre animation yeah. insanity. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, what well, are you going to watch on the plane today? Oh, that's a good question. I'll see what they have. Maniac. Um, yeah, I watch Maniac. Ooh, yeah. That sounds fun. Um, what are you watching? Yeah, just, I mean, I finished Succession, which I really love. I'm waiting on Billions to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm watching The Practice from the beginning. Wow. Awesome. Um, That's a good one. I, lo- I mean, I love that show. I really, really want to be a lawyer. I'll never be a lawyer. <laughs> you want to be a TV I, lawyer? I want to be a TV lawyer. And so I, I, I play a game in my house called Judge and Jury where I can just be a, a, <laughs> a lawyer because I just love love that. And I'm, I'm watching Godless because um, mm. I will watch anything that Merritt Weaver is in. Oh, my God. Totally. Um, and I'm... I'm I'm not quite I'm gonna stick it out. Yeah. But it's I'm I'm trying to get there. But it's really it's of a high quality. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. really good in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to still get the story and I think I'm yeah. just but I'm there. And I think there's gonna be probably in the next episode the moment where I'm gonna say, Oh shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna be hooked. So yeah. Are you it on is a slow the burn. third episode? I think I'm on three. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it takes a, it takes a hot minute. <laughs> okay. That, that one. Right. And then and then you look back and you're like, Oh well I'm really glad I went through all of them. Mm, yeah. It's not like a, a there are other shows where I'm like, I could just watch the first and the last and right. it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. This you kinda need the whole thing, but okay. it is it it makes you work for it. Okay. Yeah. Which right. I it's interesting in this time, I'm always fascinated by filmmakers and TV creators like Scott Frank who's like mm-hmm. I'm going to make a TV show that makes you work for it in a time where you don't have to work for anything yeah. it's uh, a bold fucking choice it is true which you don't I mean and you know because most shows are just like here I am yeah mm-hmm. and th- this one is like no I, I'm a hard yeah I'm yeah. a hard date <laughs> <guy." laughs> I'm a hard date you yeah gotta, so not going I'm to bed not... with you on the first day <laughs> so crazy but worth it but, but worth it 100% worth it thank all you all so much cool. for being here thank you guys I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Writers Panel. Tune in next Tuesday and every Tuesday for a brand new episode. And in the meantime, please subscribe and review the Writers Panel on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. And follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds. And let me know who you want to have on the show. The Writers Panel is a co-production of the Forever Dog Podcast Network and the ATX Television Festival. You can listen to more Forever Dog podcasts at foreverdogpodcast.com. And keep up with the ATX Fest throughout the year at atxfestival.com. Thank you, and see you next week. Well, you'll hear me next week. Thanks for subscribing. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram 
at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.